The Orthodox Journey. In this edition of The Orthodox Journey, we reflect on the parable of the rich man and Lazarus from the Gospel of Luke. Our Saint of the Week this week is Saint David of Evia. As always, we also bring you our spiritual reflection. This is The Orthodox Journey. The Holy Gospel. Let us hear today's reading from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 16, verses 19 to 31. There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen, and who feasted sumptuously every day. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at his gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. So it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And being in torments in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. Then he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, Remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, and likewise Lazarus' evil things. But now he is comforted, and you are tormented. And besides all this, between us and you there is a great gulf fixed, so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those from there pass to us. Then he said, I beg you therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house, For I have five brothers, and that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. Abraham said to him, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said to them, No, Father Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded if someone should rise from the dead. The parable of the rich man and Lazarus is a well-known parable of Jesus. In this parable, Jesus speaks to his disciples and some Pharisees about two men and their life on earth and after death, an unnamed rich man and a poor beggar named Lazarus. Not naming the rich man is of significance in this parable. Ordinarily, poverty is anonymous and wealth is acknowledged. Yet Lazarus is named and the rich man is anonymous, anticipating the reversal that occurs at the end. A name also in the gospel is used to define a person and their intrinsic qualities. This again highlights the fact of the empty qualities of the unnamed rich man. On the other hand, the poor man Lazarus is named. 
In Hebrew, Lazarus means God is my helper, a name appropriate for this poor man who has put his hope and dependence on God. Christ also named Lazarus as an example to show that even a man who owned nothing was still seen and known by God and by the people of that time. We are told that it was not the rich man's wealth or money that was the issue. It was the way he lived his life and handled his riches. He had laid all his trust in his possessions and therefore had left no room for God. He did not feel a need for God's help. Lazarus had been placed at the doorstep of the rich man where he was clearly visible to him and therefore would have been given daily opportunities to assist him and in effect develop spiritually as a person. But instead, the rich man chose to ignore these opportunities. His own pleasures had blinded his vision and killed his conscience. He was lacking so much empathy for his fellow human that Christ tells us how even the dogs were more attuned to Lazarus' pain, as they would come and lick his sores, hoping to reduce the pain. Christ compares the dog's compassion to the lack of compassion the rich man had. After a life of comforts and pleasure for the rich man and a life of suffering and poverty for Lazarus came death, which put an end to the first man's riches and the suffering of Lazarus. We hear that when Lazarus died, the angels carried him to the bosom of Abraham to paradise. The rich man, on the other hand, was buried in the ground we now learn how the comforts versus sufferings of earthly life are reversed. He who enjoyed their earthly life is now tortured, and he who would have been tortured is now comforted in the kingdom of heaven. Even though Lazarus lay up, lay at the door of the rich man, he was continuously ignored, but now we hear the rich man looks up and sees Lazarus and recognizes him. This time we hear the rich man asking for help. He requests a drop of water from Lazarus to cool his tongue. However, this is not possible. No one can pass between the two places. Here Christ shows us that it is impossible for a man to change his condition and status after death. Life on earth is the time for repentance and virtuous deed. Life after death holds accountability. The man of wealth then has another request. He is concerned about the welfare of his five brothers who were still on earth and who seemed to be living their lives in the same manner as himself. The rich man begs Abraham to send Lazarus to warn his brothers and guide them. He feels that if one from the dead goes to them, they will repent. Abraham's answer, however, is conclusive. He says, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Seeing does not always equal believing. We see this example from the Pharisees. The Pharisees witness with their own eyes the miracles of the Lord, raising people from the dead, then he himself rising from the dead, and yet they still did not believe him. So on what grounds were they to believe someone coming from the dead? Abraham's response was simple. These men of the earth have teachings of the Holy Bible about salvation, goodness, and virtues. They have the tools to lead a virtuous life. They can read from the scriptures and 
learn how to depend on God and how to help those near them. The rich man's downfall was that he lived only for the flesh. He enjoyed earthly goods without measure and had completely suppressed within himself any manifestation of spiritual life. By this, he had also prepared for himself a bitter fate. The Apostle Paul says, Be not deceived, God is not mocked, for whatever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, but he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. We each prepare for ourselves our portion beyond the grave. We grow closer to Christ if we follow his commandments, repent, nourish our soul with prayer, and partake of the church's mysteries. If we do these things, we begin in this earthly life a communion with a spiritual life. Genuine faith begins and is maintained with repentance. The constant prayer of the Christian consists of brief words, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Without this prayer, a Christian cannot live, and he spiritually dies. The poor Lazarus received a heavenly reward because of his spiritual awareness of his soul, and the rich man of the parable was punished because he did not have this spiritual awareness, because he had satisfied himself completely on a physical level, which left no room to feel a need for God's help. The inevitable fate of every rich person is not hell, nor for every poor person paradise. The measure of salvation is not poverty or wealth, but it is how much we care about our needy brothers and sisters. Many people of wealth distribute their abundance to assist those in need and to support churches and charities. And on the other hand, there are many who are poor and who continue to blame God for their misfortunes. They blaspheme his name in pride and despondency. The lesson from this gospel reading is a simple one. Help those in need and show acts of love to whoever crosses your path, not just in words, but also in deeds. The Saints of the Week Today we celebrate the great Saint David of Evian, a monastic of incredible holiness. Saint David was born in the late 15th century in the province of Lucrida. He was the son of a devout priest and one of four children. David was extraordinarily faithful as a young child. At the age of three, he encountered St. John the Forerunner in a vision. St. John took his hand and they went together to the chapel dedicated to his memory. St. John then went into his own icon and David prostrated himself in front of it. He remained there for six days in prayer without food or water. His parents and the whole village were looking for him. On the sixth day, which was Saturday, David's father went with some villagers to that chapel to serve the Vesper service and to pray to the saints for his child. When they arrived, they were surprised to see David on his knees in front of the icon of St. John. His face was glowing with light. When St. David was 15 years old, he left his village with the blessing of his parents and followed the monk Agakios, a virtuous father. In the monastery of Elder Agakios, St. David lived as a member of the Brotherhood for five years, his asceticism, obedience and humility were exemplary. The young novice was called by the brothers of the monastery David the Elder owing to his advanced virtue. Akakios then took David with him to Mount Athos. He left the young David in the monastery of the great Lavra 
and went to Constantinople to see the Patriarch. The Patriarch not only blessed the elder Arcachios, but also enthroned him as Metropolitan of Nafbaktos and Arta. Arcachios took St. David with him to the diocese where he ordained him a priest. The obedience of St. David to the elder, his spiritual father, was great. On one occasion, Elder Akakios sent David from Nafbaktos to Arta for some work. It was a journey of four days by foot. St. David was walking barefoot, as was usual for him, through difficult and ragged paths. When he arrived outside the city of Arta, he stopped for a while to rest. A charitable man saw him and immediately bought a pair of shoes and gave them to David. The saint, who did not want to offend this kind man, accepted and wore them. After finishing the work that the elder had assigned to him, the saint returned to Nafbaktos. When the elder saw him wearing new shoes, he reprimanded him for accepting a gift without first having received his blessing. He ordered David to remove the shoes from his feet and return them to the person who gave them to him. Saint David, obeying his elder, returned barefoot to Arta, found the man, and after giving him back the shoes, returned once again to Nafbaktos. After some years, the elder and the people of the area persuaded the humble saint to become the abbot of the monastery of the Holy Mother of God in Varnakovis. This was a difficult position, as he had to deal with the issues that arose from the disobedient monks of the monastery. Because the monks would not obey the saint, David decided with much humility that it would be better to leave the monastery than to be the elder of disobedient monks. He settled on a mountain in the area of Donvu and lived as a hermit, but was soon falsely accused by the locals as the one responsible for the escape of some slaves from a local Muslim governor. For this reason, St. David was imprisoned and tortured brutally. He suffered everything with patience. However, some local Christians paid the money to release the saint. When the saint was released, he reasoned that it would not be wise to remain in that area. He decided to go to the island of Evia. While he was on the coast of the mainland, he saw a man with a boat and asked if he could take him to the island. The man saw the humble monk with worn-out clothing and no shoes and refused to take him. St. David, without reacting, went some distance away, removed his worn-out robe, laid it on the water, and after making the sign of the cross, stepped on his robe and started sailing quickly through the waves. The man, surprised, saw the saint sailing on his robe and leaving the coast behind him. He then understood that this monk was a saint and started shouting and begging, Come, Father, come with my boat, come, Father. Saint David blessed him from afar but continued his journey on the water. With his robe, he arrived at the island of Evia. He found on the mountainside the ruined chapel of the Transfiguration, which he reconstructed, assisted by the local people. The sanctity of St. David attracted people who wanted to dedicate themselves to Christ. Soon, a small brotherhood was formed. The cells built to cover the needs of the brotherhood near the chapel were not enough. St. David decided to travel to Russia to collect the money needed to build a new monastery. After surveying the area, he chose an appropriate high place on the mountain, and before leaving for his journey, gave instructions regarding the construction work to the craftsmen and artisans. When St. David returned from Russia, he saw that the craftsmen had not obeyed his instructions, and instead of building the monastery on the top of the mountain, they had started building it near the chapel of the Transfiguration. He asked them why they had disobeyed, and they answered that on top of the mountain there was no water. 
Then St. David took some workers and monks and climbed the mountain. When they had arrived at the place that he had suggested for the new monastery, he got down on his knees and prayed to the Theotokos. As soon as he finished his prayer, he hit the root of a big tree with his staff. Water came flowing out like a river to the foothills of the mountain. The saints allowed the craftsmen to continue the construction where they had started, but through this miracle demonstrated the fruits of obedience. The stream of water still flows powerfully today, and a channel was built to bring it into the yard of the monastery. In these years, St. David worked countless miracles and attracted great numbers of monks to the monastery. When he grew older, he foresaw his death in a revelation. He called the fathers of the monastery and announced to them that in three days he would pass. Shortly before rendering his holy soul into the hands of the Lord, he said, Behold, my brothers, the Lord Jesus Christ is coming. His relics are to this day extraordinarily fragrant and have been the cause of many miracles. It would be remiss to not mention the quite significant relationship that St. David held with the monks of his monastery after his repose, especially with the recently canonized St. Iakovos of Evia, a saint of the 20th century that held the position of abbot at St. David's monastery. St. Iakovos was guided through constant communication with St. David. On more than one occasion, St. Iakovos would ask for the intercessions of St. David and they would be fulfilled almost immediately. Through the prayers of St. Iakovos, St. David restored rain to drought-stricken lands, healed the sick, including St. Iakovos himself, and resolved issues within the monastery. On one occasion, one of the villagers had cut down a number of olive trees on the grounds of the monastery. St. Iakovos, not yet abbot at this stage, had been ordered by his elder to go to the police and to investigate who had committed this crime. St. Iakovos, a man committed to his monastery, did not wish to venture outside and involve himself in the prosecution of a poor villager. He immediately went to the chapel of St. David and with great boldness implored him, saying, These fields and this monastery is yours to deal with. I have no wish to involve myself with the police. You have until this evening to find the culprit or I won't light your oil lamp or burn incense in your chapel. That evening, the villager came to the monastery and, driven to forgiveness by the intercession of St. David, confessed his crime to St. Iakovos. This is but one example of the consistent presence that St. David had within the monastery and within Greece. May this great monastic saint be for us an example of virtue. In one of the hymns dedicated to St. David, we chant... With the rivers of your tears you have made the barren desert fertile. Through sighs of sorrow from deep within you, your labours have borne fruit a hundredfold. By your miracles you have become a light, shining upon the world. O David, our Holy Father, pray to Christ our God to save our souls. Amen. Orthodox Spiritual Reflections Today we go back in time to a momentous occasion in October 1957. The Soviet Union had just launched the satellite Sputnik into orbit. As a result of this great achievement, the atheist Soviet regime declared, The kingdom of God has come to an end. The kingdom of man has now begun. Four years later, in 1961, Yuri Gagarin became the first man to circumnavigate the earth. On his return, the Soviets declared in his name that he did not see God. 
when two Americans, Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin, landed on the moon only eight years later, however, everything was different. On the return journey, Buzz Aldrin was reading Psalm 8, verses 3 and 4. Those verses say, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him? Leaving aside the conflicting views of the two political camps, we come to a great discovery. Many eternal truths that we know through our faith become more certain and truer in the eyes of the world after every scientific success and development. For instance, astrophysicists have shown that our universe continually expands. Yet every change requires a similar reaction in other parts of our cosmos, even in fractions of a second. If this did not occur, it would cause the collapse of the whole universe. Alan Sandage, a noted astronomer, writes the following. I find it improbable that such order came out of chaos. There has to be some organizing principle. God to me is a mystery, but is the explanation for the miracle of existence. The reason there is something instead of nothing. The first chairman of NASA's Lunar Exploration Committee and a self-proclaimed atheist said, For the scientist who has only trusted the power of reason, the story ends like a bad dream. He has scaled the mountain of ignorance and, on reaching the peak, he is greeted on the other side by a band of theologians who have been sitting there for centuries. These scientists raise a serious question about humanity. What is it that drives man to work so hard to conquer space, to visit the moon, and to continue his searches even further? It is the divine spark, which is given to us by our Creator as a privilege. This moves our mind to conceive and our hands to create. This same spark motivates the astronauts. If we were only earth and dust without an immortal soul, these great achievements would be impossible. The landing on the moon, therefore, reminds us that man is in fact a small god, made by the hands of God according to his image. The universe with his perfect physical laws, is a creation of the invisible God. It is God, and no one else, who gives the ability to man to discover it, and even to bring it under his control. But there is another aspect to this which affects us in our daily lives. The leap to the moon tells us that we need another leap upwards. This is done quietly and in secrecy. We need to lift our hearts and take control of our inner self. We need to conquer the gravitational pull of our passions and the weaknesses of character. We need to war against bad habits and unsuitable friendships. We need to obliterate dark inner thoughts and desires. If our intentions are sincere, this can be achieved by the grace of the crucified Son of God. Then we shall reach not only the stars, at the very heights of heaven itself.
We hope you've enjoyed this edition of The Orthodox Journey. To keep up to date with our podcast, subscribe on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or head to orthodoxjourney.com where you can find even more Orthodox articles, talks, sermons and podcasts.